I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. go. And just like that, we are back. Yes. Good morning, sis. Happy New Year to you. Happy 2024 to you. How are you feeling? You know, I'm feeling okay. I, like many of us over the holidays, came down with an unfortunate non-COVID respiratory virus, and I am still getting over that. So apologies if I sound a little nasally, a little fatigued this morning. Yeah. Normally they get to hear me sound nasally after I start crying about something. (laughs) (laughs) This time it's Ashley who is the one that's nasally. Yes. I don't know. I was like on the fence because I was, you know, home for the last two weeks in Houston, which was such a gift. I was just like, man, it sucks being sick at home, but also it's nice to just be laid up in my childhood bedroom with my mom there. So it was, you know, it was kind of the the best of times and the worst of times. I love it. I love it. Um, Yeah. So uh, I had a a wonderful week on the wards at Grady um, up until the day after Christmas. And my favorite moment actually of that week was when I wore one of my favorite um, pairs of scrubs that are like fluorescent green in this patient told me I look like a sassy Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> Extra sass in there. And and to be clear, <laughs> he had been altered like for two days before that. Uh-huh. And I walked in the room and he looked at me. He said, look at you looking like a little sassy Grinch. <laughs> and I was like, huh, that's abstract. Wow. And then he says, lifts up his, um, his breakfast tray. I was like, hey, uh, can you tell them to stop sending me hash browns with no ketchup? So I looked at him and I just like felt a little tear like prickle my eye because I was so happy that he was doing better. Because I'm like, if you are complaining about our food at Grady, yes, as particularly you know the accoutrement on the side of it, and you and you got it in you to call me a sassy Grinch, and then he says, "You the Grinch? Go steal me some ketchups from." <laughs> somewhere I said sir we about to discharge you (laughs) yes you have been healed it is time to go home I was pretty quick-witted man a sassy Grinch and I kind of did look like a sassy Grinch I mean I love it (laughs) because it was literally the color of the Grinch (laughs) oh that was funny man yeah guess what I started reading but I'm not done with I hope it's chain gang all-stars O-M expletive G. Yes. 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 Wow. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah. I have no idea where it's going. I had no idea what it was about. I'm cu- I'm very curious to know from the audio book, because there was a lot of like when in the, in the actual book, there was a lot of really um, important footnotes that kind of tie in both the fiction and like the true like history around incarceration in America Oh, I don't know if that's like how they work that in or or not. Well, 
first of all, I love that you knew that I was not holding the book in my hands. Of course. I mean, <laughs> a little bit of that could be shade, but then again, it's just the truth. So, okay. So no, I don't, I, I'm sure I'm missing some of that. Um, what I will say is the narrator is knocking it out of the park and is like, there are multiple narrators. I heard about that. Yes. Um, so um, it's, it's great, but, but there are a couple books like that where I get the impression that I need to go ahead and get the book with my hands and read it. I think 1619 was the last book that I listened to. Then I was like, okay, let me go back and read it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's a book probably one. that I would recommend having in person or at least, you know, go to the library, check it out. Yeah. Um, and I'll add, since we did talk about Chain Gang All-Stars on a previous episode, I also picked up um, Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James okay. McBride, uh-huh. which uh-huh. was another like top contender for best books of, of 2023 on like everybody's list. I'm, I have to admit, I'm new to James McBride. Um, he's a very prolific author and a musician, actually. Oh. And he has an interesting personal story as well. I actually, my next book on my to-do list among many is to pick up his memoir, but I just started having an earth grocery store. I started it like two days ago. I'm already halfway through. It's incredible. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to check out his books. Cause of course, as we're sitting here, I Googled uh, his name and there were other books I'd heard of actually. I mean, I've heard of heaven and earth grocery store, but I didn't know much about it. So cool. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I just finished another uh, very short read, not fiction, because, you know, I like my fiction and then I like get better, get your life together. books. Yeah. So I just finished Hidden Potential by Adam Grant. Um, yeah. uh, and many people are familiar with Adam Grant. He has a great podcast. He also wrote Think Again and wrote, um, I think, Givers Takers. I really like that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one is, um, I will tell you, let me just tell you, pluck one piece out of the book that I dug a lot. Um, one, it's about, um, you know, sometimes we tell people to do their best and um, make that your goal, like do your best. And um, in this book, he kind of unpacks how that's actually not always the greatest goal. That's often pretty nebulous. It's good to set your sights on something specific. Yes, do your best. But if you are aiming for something, you tend to do a better job. And the one other piece as a clinician educator that struck me was when he talked about um, instead of asking people for feedback, he asked them for advice. Mm. Loved. I loved this concept. Like, hey, um, can you give me some feedback on the talk that I gave versus what advice would you give me after watching that talk to make it better? Um, Because feedback puts pressure on you to actually say something critical. Yes. And it also suggests uh, uh, that you come from a place of lack. At least this is my my impression of it. Mm-hmm. Advice would be like, let me help you build upon something that I actually thought was great. Or maybe it is opportunity. Maybe it is a place of lack, but you know, maybe it's not. So um, I am going to try that. Um, I'm on wards at the end of this month and I'm going to be like, hey, can y'all give me some advice on how I could be a better attending? Ooh, I like that. Isn't that good? Man. Yeah, so we just be reading books and I guess occasionally we look up some medicine. Yep, <laughs> yep. Well, I have to say, you know, you and Jules look so lovely this morning coming through nice and, and tanned from vacation. She's up and silky. With a little bobby pin in the front. Exactly. I like what <laughs> you're doing there. 
So. Yeah, um, Mahalia has a silk press right now, <laughs> um, and she may. And for those who don't know what a silk press is, you know what? You should Google that. I'm not going to even offer you an explanatory comma. Uh, <laughs> you just look that up. Yeah. But well, yeah. I will say, coming out of Houston is not exactly silky as it once was, <laughs> but I do straighten my hair like twice a year <laughs> just to get it cut. So, yeah. But we digress because. Yeah. You know, the real reason we are here this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is to be graced by none other than the Kimberly Manning, otherwise known as Grady Doc on your social media platforms. She's (laughs) a nationally renowned clinician, educator, extraordinaire, my friend, my sister, my mentor, my hero. Dr. Manning, what is the what? That's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, I I worked on that. (laughs) I like that intro. Um... The what is represent. Represent. Okay. Like represent H-Town. I like yep. Represent. Got to represent at all times. Represent. I'm going to take you back probably about, uh, about 10 or 12 years. Um, at this point, I was a residency program director um, for our transitional year residency at Emory. We have probably one of the biggest transitional years in uh, the country. Transitional year, for those who do not know, is a first year position that you take after medical school. That is a foundational year before going into advanced specialties like anesthesia, radiology, other things. I ran that program and we had about 24 to 29 residents every year. And um, I had been in the role for a while. I was in a groove. And, you know, as, as proud as I am of our diversity at Emory, Back then, um, it wasn't always that common for us to have multiple people of color into into my program. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there were some years where I didn't have any Black women, at least, in our program. But this particular year, I did have one Black woman who matched in my program. And the part that really delighted me about it was not only was she a Black woman, she was a Black American woman from Southern California. Wow. She was from a neighborhood not even far from where I was from. She'd gone to school in other places that I don't know that weren't you know connected to me, but we had that in common. We had grown up near each other. And um, when she matched with us, I was delighted. And so um, just to be clear, with transitional year residency programs, the lion's share of where you interview and focus is on the advanced program. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't really gotten to know her very well during the interview process or anything. So I was getting to know know her when she came to the program for the first year position. You know, I I sit her down and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so glad I'm your program director this year. If you need anything, you know, she told her where I lived, gave her my cell phone number, all the things, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you're new to a city. Your program director is your home girl. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on. It does not get any better than this. Nope. And I remember as I'm saying these things to her, she's like, okay, yeah, like, cool. That's good. But not particularly responding like I would respond if I was an intern and I was getting offered this by my program director. But I was like, you know, okay, whatever. I don't know her. We start the year off with this welcome dinner. It was one of the kickoff things that I did to kind of create um, a family-like environment for the residents. And I used to do it at my house. And I invited spouses and everybody, and it was, everybody could come. And everybody was expected to come because this was during orientation week. Yeah. So it was something that we put a lot of time into. We had it catered. We we set it up to really be a great kickoff for the year. Mm-hmm. 
And all of my residents came except one. And the one resident who had not shown up was her. Now, we were like, we have some programming built into the dinner, like where we like do this thing where throughout the week, everybody, you're given a name and everybody introduces the person, you know, that they, and you have to learn all about them. So it's like a really fun icebreaker team building exercise that we do, but she didn't come. And the way I realized she wasn't there was that the person who had her name was like, I didn't hear from her. So I thought maybe something was wrong because this was mandatory. Mm-hmm. So I call her. She answers the phone. Hello. You can hear like noise in the background. And I was like, hey, did I reach you at a better time? She's like, oh, no, I'm out to dinner with my mom, but it's everything okay. I said, well, you know, we had the welcome dinner. It was mandatory. And she's like, oh, yeah. You know, my mom ended up being able to stay a little bit longer. And um, there was a place we wanted to try. And I, it, like, it was very sorry, not sorry. And everything about the emails said, this is mandatory. We expect you to be there. You know, it was in the middle of the event. So I decided like, all right, I'm not going to trip too hard. Mm-hmm. Get off the phone. Have the event. It was great. So I reached out and asked to meet with her. She came, comes to meet with me. And I bring her in my office and I start basically letting her know that I, that was not okay. But after I told her the parts that were sort of, that I would say to any resident, I let her know that if if I don't look good, you know, you don't look good. Mm. And if you don't look good, I don't look good. I wish it wasn't this way. But when we are in a place like Emory, we, meaning me and you and our intersecting identities as Black women, we got to represent, baby. This this what you did right here. This was a ball drop that was not cool. But furthermore, it was a ball drop in a place where you should be really safe. And you should, if anything, you should have been the first person here. And she was like, well... I'm sorry, but like an after hours dinner, how do you mandate that somebody has to be somewhere at 630 during orientation week? Like, how is that even something you can make mandatory? Mm. So I've been program director 10 years, baby. She was like, well, with all due respect, and there wasn't no respect in how she said, (laughs) you know, it was important to me to spend time with my mom and I didn't necessarily want to be with my mom at that. And I was like, yeah, but you're a doctor now and a professional. And sometimes you're going to have to do stuff that you don't want to do. But either way, that's not a good look. Yeah. Okay. So it's bigger than you just doing something that could be perceived as unprofessional. It is a reflection of more than just you. You got to realize that while you're here and, I, and you should realize that early. And I promise to do everything I can to support you, but it's our responsibility to remember that in all we do. I remember that everywhere I go in this hospital. And she looked at me and she was like, okay, is there anything else? And I said, no, nah, there's nothing else. And, and listen, this is, I'm saying this out of love. She was like, okay. Now, even though this person was from Southern California, unlike me, she had grown up in environments that were predominantly non-Black. When you talk to her, when you interacted with her, um, it was very clear that we grew up in a very different spaces. So whenever anything would come up related to race and identity or anything like that, she wasn't one of these people that was like trying to feel all that. You couldn't even like reach reach out to her like, what's up, sis? You know, she, that, that wasn't, mm. you wasn't going to get that. And every now and then, you know, you do meet black folks like that. Yes. Who like you give them the nod and they don't give it back to you or they look yep. at you puzzled or why is everything about race? <laughs> so 
Separate from the fact that we had racial concordance, there were other little lapses in professionalism with her um, that I dealt with throughout that year. And because I could not be objective and because I was just too angry because my expectation of her was different, I just sort of decided like, you know what, whatever. Mm -hmm. So mostly it was fine. And we get to the end of the year and we do this exit interview at, at the end of our transitional year. And you get to like talk about the program. And we usually have me and one of the assistant program directors would do this. Mm-hmm. I specifically scheduled her to talk to somebody other than me because I didn't think that she could would say much to me. Mm-hmm. But when I say that baby unpacked everything she did not like about the program, she and she pretty much dragged me. Mm. I mean, and if you don't know what drag means, you just picture it. It's an unpleasant thing. She said that I put unnecessary pressure on her, that my expectations of her were not fair, that expecting somebody to do more or something just because they happen to be Black is ridiculous and is why a lot of Black residents are just under so much pressure because of people like me. It was rough. I mean- she didn't pull no punches. Ooh. And because she put it in writing and she said it to the APD. She was on her way out. Yep. So much so that my APD called me and was like, Yo, can I talk to you? Because <laughs> you just got dragged. <laughs> uh, um, and, you know, my feelings were hurt, but I was old enough then where I knew some of this wasn't really about me. And I, and I wasn't also at a point where I could appreciate the fact that maybe she was right about me putting more pressure on her as a black resident. Like I, I wasn't ready to hear that. Instead, I just decided that she was somebody who was a jerk and Mm -hmm. that was how that was going to manifest and boo do you. So I never really responded to any of that. You know, I just let her go on with that and I'm like, good riddance. Hopefully I never see this person again. Yeah. That was it. And like always happens, time passes and I (laughs) forgot about her. I forgot about that girl. I was just like, whatever. She can kick rocks. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it was one day I was walking out of the School of Medicine and um, the School of Medicine is near Emory University Hospital. So if you want to walk to Emory University Hospital, you have to walk over this bridge that you will pass people going that direction to. And I'm walking and it was like kind of after hours and it was pretty empty on the bridge. Nobody was really out and about. And I see this silhouette of this person coming toward me and it was nobody else on the bridge. And we were both walking where we're going to meet in the middle of the bridge at the same time. (laughs) Sounds like a movie. It really does. (laughs) And I realize that is her. Her body language looked defeated. Her shoulders were curled in Her head was kind of down. She looked up and she saw that it was me. And she looked back down. And at that point, I said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. So I keep walking. And the closer I get to her, I can tell, I can see like a melancholy about Mm her. Mm -hmm. It looked like all of that spunk and that spirit that she had all up in my face years ago, it was gone. She looked beat down. And I just stopped in my tracks and I waited for her to get to me. And uh, she kind of stopped and I said, hey. And she said, hey. 
And the way she said, hey, made me realize that she was open to talking to me. Mm. And I was like, uh, I have not seen you in so long. She was like, yeah. I said, how are you doing? And she let out a big sigh. And she was just like, yeah. I said, how's residency going? She looked down at her feet and she just kind of shook her head. And she was like, I'm here. I'm just, I'm just trying to make it. Mm. And then she looked up at me and she said, you were right. Wow. Because I think at one point we were in one of our little heated discussions early in the year where I said, at some point, somebody is going to let you know that, <laughs> that, that you ain't them. Mm. And look, if you operate this way, like you don't need nobody and that works for you, then God bless you. But someday you're going to need somebody. And you're going to need somebody who looks like you. And her response back then was, uh, okay. Mm. And she said, you were right. And I said, why didn't you call me? She's like, how could I call you? I was like, because I'm grown. And I understand that like stuff happens sometimes. And it's just not about like, of course I would have been there for you. And she was just like, it has been so hard. There have been some things that have just like, not been cool. And I get it that I have not necessarily set myself always up to get the benefit of the doubt, but she's like, man, I got that memo that you talked to me about. Mm, mm, and mm. I got it in a way that and she was just like tearful. Mm. And I pulled her in and I hugged her and I said, look, I I am still here for you. You can just call me anytime. And she was like, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. So, you know, it was evening. So I was getting ready to leave. I said, okay, girl. Well, you know, you have my number still. She was like, I do. And I was getting ready to pull away from her and leave. And she grabbed my two arms, both of my forearms that near my elbow. And she's like, I am so sorry. Woo. And do you know what I thought about? I thought about this lonely defeated, beat down black woman resident in this very, very competitive advanced program. And I thought about the, 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 the forces and the systems that have, that have been created that made it feel for me like I needed to create a force field around her and teach her how to represent, mm -hmm. you know, so that we don't embody the things that people think about our race which isn't fair, by the way. And all I could think was, I'm sorry too. Mm. And that's what I told her. Baby, I'm sorry too. And I'm sorry, I was sorry for a lot of things, the pressure I put on her, but I'm sorry that we exist in a world where you screwing up just can't be that your, the, your frontal lobe ain't developed yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. You are basically punching the whole race in the face mm -hmm. and we all work too hard to get here for you to be out here having dinner with your mama somewhere mm -hmm. when you're supposed to be here bright-eyed bushy-tailed so that we look like we we supposed to be here mm. baby I'm sorry too and after that you know we kind of stayed in touch and you know and I don't feel any animosity toward her 
I mean, I think we all do things to survive. Yeah. And I came to her like I was like I had it figured out and my way was better than hers. But she was trying to survive just like I was. Mm -hmm. Man, girl, you just took me for a ride. <laughs> I was not <laughs> expecting y'all to cross paths again. But I mean, I, I, there's there's so much more there to unpack than I think we have time for even in this episode. I'm just like, we might need to do a part two. <laughs> The, the what being representation and just like, you know, how many of us have kind of felt that where it's just like, you don't just get to make a mistake, like your mistakes mean so much more than you. And particularly at that time, you being the the lonely only, you know, determines how, mu how many more of us get to come in the door behind you. Yep. And that really isn't fair. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, this, this aspect of, you know, professionalism and people potential mentors reaching out to you and you're usually the protective like older sister now I'm like the younger sister ready to throw punches right. like what's wrong with this girl like, yeah, but she was she was raging against the machine right yeah. And, yeah. and I was I was a piece of the machine that she thought you know this is some bs man like I ain't you know I'm no I'm not I'm not doing this I'm not I'm not playing this game exactly and the other thing I think about too is just like for both of us as, as clinician educators, as leaders in our departments and divisions as Black women, like, you know, you're often in a position where, you know, you are having to advise mentees, particularly mentees of color, both like on the, the usual level, then you go a level deeper and be like, hey, like, you know, this is what it is. And I, I find myself struggling in those conversations because I mean, like, I'm sensitive too. Like, I don't want to get bashed on evaluation. Like, I don't want you to not like me. But, you know, you at that moment still told her what she needed to hear, even though she wasn't trying to hear it. And I've heard, we like, we've had off conversations where you've like talked about scenarios like this before, um, even recently. And I'm just like, how do you, <laughs> how do you balance that? Like, what advice do you have for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the one thing is you never want to be in a point where if somebody says something critical to you, that you can't take something from it, right? And be like, all right, well, what in this is true? Back then I wasn't ready to hear, you know, to, to see her perspective at all. But what I, what I do know is I know what's true about me. Sometimes somebody says something to me and I just know that's not true. Mm. You know, if somebody says, I don't care, she don't care about, she don't care about nobody but herself. I know that's not true. I know that's not true. And I know that if I closed my eyes tonight and did not wake up, there would be more people who could say, I know for sure that she cared about more than just herself, because I, this is this is my testimony. I, I know this. So you can't say that to me. Now, if you say she put unnecessary pressure on me and she was dragging me for being unprofessional, but technically it wasn't professional for her to lay a unique expectation on me in my first week of internship just because of my race and my gender. Now that, <laughs> if she had had, you know, <laughs> the capacity to put it together that way, yeah, that is true. She was right. And as I grew older, I, I did start to shift the way that I avail myself to people who look like me. Mm -hmm. Instead of making it a pressure, I will, you know, more step to the side of it and say, this is a reality that exists. Allow me to support you through it, but I won't place a blanket of, you know, expectation over you that says 
if I don't look good, you don't look good. And if you don't look good, I don't look good. Mm. Which is literally what I said to her. Mm -hmm. Like when I make a decision to do or not do something, it's bigger than me. It, it includes you. But why am I saying that to somebody in their first week of internship? <laughs> Damn, can they just learn hype on their tremia? Yeah. <laughs> can they learn where the bathroom is yeah. and where the stairwell that don't lock them in is? Like, come yeah. on. Come on. Yeah. Come on, man. I, and I really hope that she learned something also about forgiveness. It's like that biblical story of the prodigal son, you know? Yep. yep. He came back and thought everybody was going to be like, beat it, scram. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, we love you still. Come on back. Mm -hmm. I do think that it's important um, for us to create a soft place to land for people, even when they've hurt our feelings. Yeah. And you can't be that to everybody, but I could tell that there were not many other people that, that would have done that for her. Absolutely. Man, what a, what a God moment is who knows where she would have found herself had y'all not crossed paths. I mean, it just sounds like she was in a place of like, full defeat and had nowhere to reach out to. And also what's in our control, right? Cause mm -hmm. it was in my control to stop. Yep. So when I stopped walking, it was an invitation. And, and I don't even think I thought about that until just now when I told the story, but mm -hmm. I do remember that I reached the middle of the bridge before she did. And I stopped and waited for her. Mm -hmm. She said, I'm about to talk to you. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, girl. Well, um, Internal Medicine Grand Rounds is starting at the Emory University uh, Department of Medicine. And seeing as I'm in a leadership role, I should probably be logging on to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, as you can see, I'm still sitting in my like blanket robe that I <laughs> rolled out of bed in. So I guess I should put some clothes on and start the day. Yeah, you got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you and Mahalia. Yes. All right, sis. Well, I sure do love you. And we just out here imperfect people trying to grow and do better right along with our learners. Absolutely. Well, thank you for, for blessing us with that story, sis. I love you as well. Glad we get to start the year off together. And yeah, I will. I will talk to you very soon. Peace. Peace. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.